Hi, and welcome to our podcast, Bodies and Souls, Conversations for the Jewish Woman. My name is Sarah. I'm a certified teacher and school leader. I'm passionate about education and Torah and Hasidus. My name is Rifki. I am a certified nurse, midwife, and college teacher. I am passionate about using our bodies and our innate spiritual abilities to serve Hashem in the most healthy and complete way possible. Together, we are pleased to present to you Bodies and Souls, fascinating and informative conversations for you, the Jewish woman. Our aim is to provide you with multidimensional information that will inform and inspire you to be the best version of yourself, supporting your bodies and souls as they strive to be the very best in fulfilling our ultimate potential in bringing Mashiach now. Good morning and welcome to Bodies and Souls. Your host for today is Rifki Boyarski. Sarah is still settling back into real life post-camp, but she will, Emir Sashem, be back with us this upcoming week. Today we have the great privilege and honor of having a friend of mine come on and share with us a whole new perspective about Sneha. So I'd like to welcome Bracha Leeds. Bracha is a shlucha. Um, she also talks um, about Sneha's. She has developed a Tznias curriculum, which I've heard parts and snippets of, and it's really a whole new perspective. She's also a certified Kala teacher through mikvah.org, um, and she's the director of Mikvah's Chanalea. Um, and she's, of course, the proud mother of her own um, brood. So I would like to introduce Bracha. Bracha, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what brought you to talking about SNES. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me, Rifki. It's a real honor to be here. So actually, my husband and I run the Chabad on campus at UC Berkeley, which happens to be the same place where we met as college students 20 years ago now. So we have a really unique perspective since neither of us grew up in the Chabad world, but we were both drawn to Chabad through our personal encounters that we had with different shluchim and learning Hasidus. Um, you know, we feel really privileged to be able to pay it forward as campus shluchim to help inspire others just like we were. So you asked me what brought me to talk about Sneas. Well, it's kind of um, an interesting story. Since I grew up going to public school my whole life and we never had any uniform or even a dress code, we could wear whatever we wanted. So pretty much every day I wore my bikini to school under my clothes and I would sunbathe on the lawn during lunchtime, not joking. And, <laughs> you know, I was also a professional hip hop dancer and actress and spent a lot of my time in the Hollywood world where pretty much anything goes. So it wasn't until my college years where I actually met Shluchim, different families, and also had a few experiences going to Crown Heights. And interestingly, I was really enamored by the whole Tznias culture, I guess you could say, which was a total 180 from where I was coming from. Uh, I couldn't really pinpoint what it was exactly since I didn't even know what Tznias was, but whatever it was that they had, I knew I wanted it. Um, when I actually, when I moved to Crown Heights, I was teaching in Bitrifka High School, and I remember just being so envious of the school uniform and thinking back to all the hours in the mornings that I spent deciding what outfit to wear as a teen. Um, so, you know, anyway, I've been from for like 20 years now, and it was only very recently while I was actually taking the college teacher training course that Rifki also was a part of. And we had a class on Sneas by Hani Wolf, and it really woke me up, honestly, because even though I've been keeping this mitzvah personally for all those years, it really hit me how little I actually understood about it, um, that it was more just like a vibe and this set of rules that I personally fell in love with, but no real understanding, I guess you could say. So I have to mention that, you know, I feel really lucky because I have a group of four friends and mentors that I meet with every week. And we've been doing this for a number of years now. And we learn and our topic is actually Tznias. And we focus on really like how we could grow and develop in this area and how we could strengthen each other, especially because of, you know, there's so many challenges. So interesting when COVID hit, um, you know, I finally made this decision that I'm just going to stop letting my fear of what other people think of me get in the way of doing something productive and trying to make change in the way that people view this mitzvah. Um, you know, thanks to the support encouragement of this group of friends. And so I actually spent about a whole year, 
like while the college campus went remote during COVID, working and researching and basically compiling what was the message that I wanted to share with the world. Um, so honestly, the words of the Rebbe that I read about at One for Brangen, like really jumped out at me. And I'm just going to share it. And I know that probably most people listening are already familiar with the beginning part of this. It's something that I think as Lubavitchers, a lot of people have kind of almost memorized or, you know, heard so many times that it just sounds like normal. Um, but there was a little addition in this Sikha that really jumped out at me and really propelled me to get involved in this topic. So um, as we know, By so the it way, says, um, Brecha, a lot of our listeners are not Chabad. So okay. we have, we have every, okay. yeah. So even if, even if our Chabad listeners might be familiar, definitely like it might be a totally different perspective than like a Basiako perspective or an unaffiliated perspective or a modern Orthodox perspective. Perfect. So actually it's interesting because this quote is not like a Chabad quote. It just happens to be something that the Rebbe quoted often. And it has to do, it's actually in the writings of the Arizal that the concept that our generation, our, our neshamas, our Gilgulim, our reincarnations of the neshamas that left Mitzrayim. And that just as it was in the schus of the Nashim Tzidkaniyais, Shahayu Ba'aisai Hadar, that it was the, the, the righteous women, that their schus that in, in those times, in the times of Mitzrayim, Nigala Yisrael mi Mitzrayim, that the Yidin were redeemed from Mitzrayim, Kach Tia HaGeula Migala Zeha Achrayim Bishar Nashim Tzidkaniyais Shabdarenu. So too it's going to be in the schus of the righteous women of our generation that we're going to be redeemed from our Gullis. Um, now, this part was a part that really um, kickstarted me, I guess, in, in, in COVID. Move on. That it's understood that additional efforts that we make in Smias, especially from the women and the girls, in this like final moments of Gullis, that that is going to speed up this whole process for us a lot faster. We're all basically kind of on edge now waiting for Mashiach, I hope. Um, now, <laughs> what's interesting is that, you know, I happen to be like a big, um, oh gosh, I'm afraid to use the word junkie, but I don't know what else to say for the Nun Aleph and Nun Beis that were the most recent talks that we have from the Rebbe. And almost every week, the Rebbe points out like a different thing that is the thing, you know, in order to bring Mashiach, we have to do this, we have to do that. And, and there's so many ones that we're aware of and that we're familiar with. And when I read this, honestly, this wasn't like a theme that I remember hearing, you know, like that Sneas is something that's going to help us bring Mashiach. But I guess in my feeling of, um, you know, like the world falling apart, like in the beginning of COVID, like I just sort of felt like, you know, okay, like maybe there's something here. Maybe we need to explore this because whatever it is definitely is not popularized. That's for sure. Um, and it's not very well publicized, but I also was not sure maybe I'm making this up. Like I wanted to find out if there's a real connection here. So I did a lot of research on it to try to, you know, find, you know, where, where there, if there really is this, you know, connection and, and how it could be used to inspire. And maybe that was, you know, something that's missing from, you know, the education. So honestly, at first, I really wasn't sure if anyone would even be interested in this message, like as much as I was, because, you know, I get excited about this stuff, but I was like, hey, you know, maybe it's just me. But I'm just going to, you know, say that right now where it stands and you mentioned that I've been doing, you know, I've developed a curriculum and I'm doing a lot of teaching. So there's actually waiting lists right now of people waiting to join these classes. And also like for the teacher training sessions that I've been doing, like who are like on wait lists right now, which really just shows how badly people are really searching for the truth in this area. So, you know, after all that, one thing led to the next and thanks to word of mouth. So I've been teaching in schools, hosting for bringing small groups, one-on-ones. We're talking for single, married, old, young, from, not yet from, anything in between. And it's actually a really hot topic right now, believe it or not. So that's where this is at. <laughs> that's amazing. I, I love that you are addressing also the mechanchais and the teachers who are, you know, the most frontal with our girls um, as they approach, you know, their own development in SNES. As you're, as I'm listening to you, actually, one thing popped out at me and I wonder if anyone listening is going to wonder the same thing. You said that SNES is the thing that, that is connected to bringing Mashiach. And I think that's such a wonderful, empowering message, but sometimes we hear about the inverse, right? So sometimes, um, especially after tragedy or after, you know, something that happens, people like, like to point and say, oh, maybe if you increased your SNES, then this wouldn't happen. 
Um, what do you say about those type of reactions? I'm going to say something that, you know, I think for a lot of people it takes a while to wrap their head around, but sneeze is really just an outgrowth, I guess you could say, or a, a manifestation of Yeras Hashem. That's really all it is. That's what it's about. And so with, when we strengthen our Yeras Hashem, our Yeras Shemayim, like that's really what Sneas is. So, I mean, we'll talk about that a little bit more and what that means, but you know, when we, when we actually look at what Sneas is at its core, it's not so far off to make these connections into, and, you know, in, in the positive sense, obviously we're not looking here to go back and say, gosh, what went wrong? You know, I mean, if you want that, I'll be honest with you, it's out there. I mean, you can just look in Navi, you can look in a lot of history, you'll see that there are a lot of clear connections that are drawn, but I actually find it so fascinating. I remember there was one um, letter from the Rebbe that was mentioned, mentioning this topic and the Rebbe, when he re- referred to you know, like what could happen in the negative, he didn't write it. He just wrote dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Um, Meaning let's not dwell on that. That's not really what we need to focus on right now is all of the things that could go wrong when we're not doing what Hashem wants. I don't think that that's really going to be so motivating for our generation. I think that we need to focus on um, how we can uplift ourselves and how we can really be inspired to not, you know, it's not even about the reward. It's about, you know, recognizing that this is ultimately what we're here for, that this is part of who we are. It's our identity and it's what Hashem created us for. So, you know, I have a lot more to say about this, but I don't know. Right. So it's about the internal, it's, it's about the internal work that then just manifests itself externally, rather than just focusing on the externals, which is such a wonderful perspective to look at. Um, I think also another thing that comes up a lot when we talk about SNEAS is being feeling attractive. And sometimes people think to themselves that, oh, if I dress a certain way in a more SNEASTIC fashion, that means that I cannot feel attractive. I cannot feel beautiful. I cannot feel, um, you know, that type of positivity about my body and about you know, myself. Is that an yeah. accurate statement? Is that like something that is, is in tune with what SNES is all about? Let me set the record straight, I guess. Um, SNES really um, doesn't have anything to do with um, being, you know, fashionable, stylish, attractive, unattractive. Really, those te- those are like two separate ideas. Like we have to kind of separate them out. I, I just have this feeling that, you know, people who tend to be you know, more nerdy with their style. It really doesn't have to do with them being from or not from. I think it just like, you know, it's a thing that some people are like that, you know, luckily for me, I guess, you know, I was a proud nerd before becoming from. (laughs) So I don't know. I don't think it changed a whole lot. Um, I don't, um, you know, consider myself like a fashion expert at all. I think what the problem that people have is that, um, they think that looking good or stylish is some kind of contradiction to Tznias, and it's not. So where does that come from, though? Because really, the whole idea of style, it comes up when we discuss the idea of chukas agoy. So in Tznias, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of different ideas and topics like within halacha that, you know, that touch on what we what we know of as Tznias, or what we think of as Tznias. And one of them is this idea that we really shouldn't behave a certain way because that's what the other nations are doing. And that just, that doesn't only go for dress, it goes for everything. It goes for all like forms of behavior, mannerisms, thought, speech, action, everything. So really, honestly, it's like we as Jews have to be the ones doing the influencing, not the other way around. So we have to have pride in who we are. We have to, you know, not look at, you know, what our role is, is to mimic what everyone else is doing, that we lead our lives in a way that it's clear to see that Hashem is our primary influence. So meaning like this question, what does Hashem want from me? That's honestly the most important question that a Jew thinks about. So it's naturally reflected in my style and my look. Let's just put it that way. So is it a contradiction? No. I mean, you can be, you can look beautiful. You can look attractive. You can look stylish. You can look all of that. It's a question is why, like, is what I'm doing because I'm trying to copy what the world is doing, what outside world is doing, what they are doing, because I want to be like them. Or is it that it happens to be beautiful and dignified and respectable? And this is my way of being a proud Jewish woman and looking like a dignified person. Then there's nothing wrong with that. It's not a contradiction. So it's a big misunderstanding, I think, that people have. Right. And I actually want to add something to that, if I can, that I once read, oh, my gosh, I'm blanking on the name of the brown book, the big brown book. I once read it cover to cover, highlighted it, wrote in it. um, And 
really took my time. And one of the things that stood out at me was the fact that it's actually not sneeze to have stained clothes, clothes that are draggy, clothes that are ripped, clothes that aren't um, showing the essence of who you are as a respectable, beautiful woman. And I thought that was such a powerful thing um, that I think we don't even talk about enough about the fact that we are supposed to feel good and look good in what we're wearing. And that's an expression of the LA cost that's within us. That leads me actually to the next question. What about when we do look really good? Let's say, for example, I know that this discussion comes up a lot in probably more in not Chabad circles rather than Chabad circles about like Shaitos looking really, really good um, or wearing nude stockings or, um, you know, things that maybe enhance your beauty through the Tznias rather than um, covering it up or feeling like it's so obvious that it's a shaitel or it's so obvious that you're wearing, you know, pantyhose or whatever it is. Can you address those type of questions? I really love this question. So first of all, there's really nothing wrong with a shaitel that looks better than your hair. I just want to clarify that. Um, the main point is that the hair should be covered completely. Um, if you want to focus on something, you know, if we're talking about women and hair covering, let's focus on that. That's really important. That's emphasized a lot in both Halacha and in the Zohar about the importance of a woman having her hair completely covered. As far as it looking good, there's really nothing wrong with that. The shaitel, though, I just want to point out, like just like all the other clothing and just like you just mentioned, you know, we don't want to have clothing with holes and, and you know, and stains all over them. So a shaitel also should look dignified and respectable. I'm going to add that point in. now obviously there's going to be a lot of gray over here. All right. I mean, you mentioned the nude stockings. I just want to, you know, I'll say something about that. And then I'll just talk about this subject in general that honestly, um, as far as nude stockings, there are multiple opinions out there. And so it's good to mention them, but there are definitely opinions to rely on that allow for them that say that they're fine. As long as the legs are actually covered, that that's um, the important thing for the lower leg. But there are some opinions that require that it actually should be noticeable that they're being worn. And when you go to you know a place where that's the standard, it's considered improper to be less than, you know, when it comes to that standard. Um, but, you know, if you really want to ask my thoughts about this whole topic. So here's something that I think is really important. I think that just like, you know, if you would go shopping, you would ask a good friend to come along with you so you could get some honest feedback, you know, if something looks good on you. So we really should do the same thing when it comes to tzniyas, like getting honest opinions when we have doubts. And we have to turn to people that we look up to in this area. And it's a process. And I really, really think that when we go through this process ourselves, by us asking questions, you know, when we're not sure about something and we're like, hey, you know, this is a kind of questionable. It's a little bit gray over here. I'm not really sure. You know, it's not so laid out in the guidelines. Some people say yes. Some people say no. This isn't exactly listed in the rule book, so to speak. How do I handle it? Meaning I go to someone that I that I respect and that I look up to and I have a conversation and we discuss it and we talk about it and we see how it fits in my life, in my lifestyle, the role that I play, you know, and what how that is perceived. But also for myself, like how, how does this fit in? And then when we do that process, which yeah, it might take a couple extra steps, but again, when it's something important, we do it anyway. It's like I said, like when you want, when you're going to a chasana and you want to know if the gown is going to look good on you, you're probably going to ask a few opinions, you know, to like from some a few close friends, you know, like, Hey, tell me honestly, you know, how does this look on me? So when we do the same thing with like, you know, things about sneeze, things that are somewhat gray, not only is that, you know, good for us, but, you know, the process of it is really important also for our children. The fact that they see us going through that process and we teach them and we give them the tools of how does a Jew deal with things that are not black and white, because not everything in life is black and white. And so we have people that we go to for guidance. Even mommy and Tati have people that they go to for guidance. We don't have all the answers all the time, but that's okay. We have to be asking and we have to be thinking in a mindset that gets our, you know, like, you know, that gets us to think like, what does Hashem want from me in this situation? You know, all these different situations, all these new little details that come up, there's going to be tons of questions. So it's okay to have questions, but where do we go? Who are the people that we go to for answers? Which mushbeam do we choose? Which rabbanim do we ask when it's a, you know, a, a black and white halakha question or something, you know, that needs a 
guidance from Rav versus someone who needs a, needs a mashpia. Very interesting. Um, so I'll tell you a, an interesting story because we're talking a lot about Sneas and I think a lot of people associate Sneas with elbows, collarbones, knees, right? Um, I had, I have actually a personal trainer who works in Crown Heights and she has worked in Crown Heights for, I want to say 15 years now, a long time. And she's really like spent a lot of time in a lot of women's homes and she's occasionally invited to weddings. And one morning she came and we were working out and she says, Rifki, I have to ask you a question. And I said, what is it, Jen? And she said, I went to a wedding last night and the women, their elbows, collarbones, knees, they were all covered, but I don't think they were modest. And like, I thought like coming mm-hmm. from, she's, you know, religious, she's Christian, um, coming from her perspective, like I stopped for a second. I was like, wait, what it like, what is she seeing that sometimes we don't see? And I think sometimes the conversation is so dominated by elbows, collarbones, and knees that we forget that Sneas is not just elbows, collarbones, and knees. So I know you talked about Yeris Hashem and Yeris Shemayim and, you know, going into the essence of who we are, but where else does Sneas manifest itself? Yeah. So <laughs> I think this is one of the biggest misunderstandings about Sneas that somehow Sneas is about clothing. Like this is a big misunderstanding. It's funny because, you know, if anyone, I think college teachers know the answer to this, but, you know, I ask this question a lot when I'm teaching women or girls, or whatever, you know, if you would just look up Hilchas Sneas and Shulchan Aruch, what are you going to find there? And most people say elbows, collarbones, and knees. And they're shocked when they actually, you know, take out the Shulchan Aruch or they open their phone or whatever, and they're searching it up frantically googling it or whatever what's hilchus and they find out that it's actually the laws of the bedroom the laws of conduct between a husband and a wife during intimacy actually um so when you look up the topic of what's called hilchus formally in shulchan Aruch, that's what you find there so it's for sure not a dress code but when we think of it, we think of it as a dress code and it is a dress code to a certain extent but where do you find sneas in halacha so Turns out there's actually five different areas, but you know, I just want to say that the first time that Sneas is even mentioned in Shulchan Aruch, this is a shock. I don't know why. It just really blows people's mind. It's just like so basic, but it's in the laws of getting dressed and undressed in the morning. You know, what is the language there? It says, you know, that it's quoting the Pasuk from Micha that it says, that you should walk modestly with Hashem. And then it says, Wow. Like, just stop right there. A person, therefore, a person needs to be tzniyas, whatever that is, in all of their ways. Okay. So the actual source of the concept of tzniyas, the first time it's mentioned explicitly in Shulchan Aruch, is about the fact that it's something that applies to everything that a Jew does. So meaning it, it, it's our mindset. It's a, you know, it is a mindset. It's really more of a mindset than a dress code, I would say more than anything else. But if you continue on and you like look at the details, you know, in, in this halacha and, and it's fascinating because actually I, I also want to point something else out. It says, a lot of people like automatically say that Sneas is a woman's mitzvah. Well, no, actually it's not. It's, it's just as much a man's mitzvah as a woman's mitzvah at its core. Like that's what the halacha is even, you know, it's almost like directed at men. Of course, we know the word Adam can be referred to, you know, men and women, but it's certainly not singling out women. It doesn't say ha'isha, it says uh, a man and a person needs to be tzniyas. Now, really, it's, it's, it's that. And then it's also the fact that it applies at all times. So one of the reasons why tzniyas is such a unique mitzvah, and, and the more you delve into it, you know, the more we can understand the connection between tzniyas and Mashiach very clearly. But if you just look at it basically, like in this halacha where it first mentions the concept, it's talking about being in Hashem's presence at all times. It says, what do you think? You're going to hide from Hashem because you're in the dark. You're alone. You're in your own bedroom. It's at night. No one's going to see you. Nah, you can't hide from Hashem. Hashem is everywhere. There is no place where Hashem is not. So therefore, the concept of Tzmias really has nothing to do with anyone else. That's the, that's the essence of Tzmias. The essence of Tzmias is because you're in Hashem's presence, period end of story. And honestly, all of the other additions, I guess you could say, or, or things that we talk about that have to do with being in public or around other people and so on, those are all in a way, not only secondary, but they're also like nothing new is really learned from practical application of Tzniyas by the fact that there are other people around, meaning all the details of what we have to do because of Tzniyas 
have primarily to do with the fact that we're in front of Hashem and nothing to do with other people. And we would derive them regardless of whether or not there were other people around. Um, and it's interesting because actually the example that the Rebbe uses often is kimchis and, and the, the concept of kimchis, which is, you know, um, I imagine this is, you know, my, my vision, you know, my 2020 interpretation of the Kimchus story is, you know, that Kimchus was this woman who, who had a very unusual situation because seven of her sons became Kahanim Gedalim. And, you know, the Chachamim were like, you know, we needed to interview her on a podcast, you know, what's her deal? You know, like, how did she, how did she get that? You know, like, that's pretty unusual. Um, it's not the norm, especially because, you know, normally a Kayin Gadol only takes over when the previous one passes away. And that wasn't the case. It wasn't like all our children died, God forbid. Like there was, they were all alive and healthy and everything was fine. And they had the schuss that, you know, for whatever reason, each one had a minor disqualification, but they were each able to become Kayin Gadol. And, and she had this great schuss that every single one of them got that. And so, you know, in, in this podcast style interview, they come to her and they're like, please, you know, tell us what did what, what did you do to get this great schuss? And she responds, the walls of my house never saw the hair of my head. And a lot of people, you know, take this as, you know, okay, that's why we have to cover our hair. And this is all about hair covering. But honestly, it's really not so much about that. Although of course it is, but like, really it's about this awareness of Hashem's presence that what's the chiddush over here that she was careful, even when no one else was around, it wasn't about the fact that she went out in public and other people were watching her. And, you know, it was, what are people going to think or say? It was that, she had this inner awareness of Hashem's presence at all times that dictated her life. And that translated actually to her children. Um, it had an effect on them. And it must have been, you know, somewhat unusual, obviously, because, you know, if that would have been, if, if it was, if it was the norm, then I don't think it would have been, you know, such, uh, you know, uh, worthy material of being recorded like this. But nevertheless, actually, some of the halachas are even derived from the example of Kimchas. And, you know, um, Shulchan Aruch quotes it and, and you know, and, and gives us, you know, Kimchas as, as our example. And the Rebbe for sure brings up Kimchas multiple times. And and, you know, empowering us and also helping us realize, you know, that if you have the ability within you, you know, to, to reach a certain potential, you know, which person wouldn't want to utilize their full potential. And, and so to a certain extent, that's what it's about, is about realizing that we have this potential. So honestly, no, it's not a dress code. It's not just about clothing. It's about who we are. It's about everything that we do. It's all the choices that we make. It's even the thoughts that we think of. And it's about even when no one is around and no one is watching, but, you know, having this awareness that Hashem is there. And that's kind of what's missing, I think, in, in the education around Sneas is that there's so much focus on some kind of, you know, external thing that's about compliance and really little to do with a relationship that we have with Hashem and being aware of Hashem. And, you know, and, and that's really honestly what Sneas is at score. So there's a lot, there's a lot more to Sneas than that. Sneas is also, you know, a, a combination of, of different things. Like we mentioned, Agoy, like not following the ways of the other nations. And there's, there's factors of Beged Ish and Beged Isha, like different, you know, um, the lifestyle choices that we make and, you know, and understanding what exactly is considered erva, the parts of a body that need to be covered. And, and, and honestly, 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 every single one of these categories apply equally to men and women. There's halachas that dictate how men, what parts of men's bodies need to be covered and so on. And in order for men to daven or say a davish kedusha, et cetera, like there's an equal amount of laws that describe, you know, um, parts of male bodies that need to be properly uh, covered and so on. And the same thing goes for, um, you know, what men dressing like women and women dressing like men, the details in halacha is is fascinating how it goes into what it is that men have to be careful about and it's fascinating when you talk about when you see like not copying you know the ways of the other nations how much detail the rambam goes into regarding men's clothing even and men's fashions not to copy the other you know the styles of of the ways of the other nations now it's really like it, it you know it, it teaches us that it's about a mindset. It's really more of an attitude than anything else. If that, if that helps clear that up. So I actually like, I'm listening to it. I'm like, I have to tell everyone rewind and listen again to this answer because it is such a shift in perspective to how the school system and how the conversation usually occurs. So it's such a, it's such a just shift in, in how we think about SNES as it applies to women and Sneas as it applies to, you know, ourselves and men. And it's amazing. I really like, I'm going to encourage everyone at this point, pause, go back, listen to what you just said again, 
and then we could continue the conversation. Um, so I'm going to actually also, again, share something interesting that happened. Actually, I ended up becoming friends with this person. Um, I was sitting, I was, I must've been like nine months pregnant with my third. And I had like two little kids. Like I went to the bus stop and I remember like getting dressed that morning and nothing fit me. Like literally we all get to that point in pregnancy where like maternity clothes doesn't help anymore. Um, and I looked at my closet and I was like, the bus is coming. I don't have the energy to, I was just, I put something on. I was like, I think this is fine. I didn't look in the mirror. I went out the house. It looked fine in the front FYI. It totally looked fine. Like when I, like it did. Um, and I'm standing at the bus stop and a mother came over to me and she whispered in my ear, Rifki, your dress is sneeze in the front, but not in the back. And I looked at her and first of all, my first thought was like, excuse me, who are you? I don't know you. I, I don't even know how she knew my name. I think, um, I think at that point I was friends with her mother who was my neighbor and I didn't know her name. And she like whispered to me, Rifki, I think you're not Sneas. And I was so hurt and so offended. I, I was like, I know I'm Sneas. I'm always Sneas. Like Sneas is not my struggle. I went home. I looked in the mirror. I was not Sneas in the back. I took the dress off. And then I found out her name and I spoke to her and like, as me, I was very appreciative that someone came over and told me. So I didn't walk through my day, not Sneas. But I think that it's such a touchy subject, maybe because we've approached it differently, maybe because, I don't know, maybe because of how it's approached in the school system. I'm not entirely sure. But I wonder, like, how do we, how are we supposed to interact with other people who are, or who are struggling with their SNES? How, as a community, are we supposed to interact with, um, you know, the struggles that sometimes people have with SNES? Okay. Uh, yeah. So, you know, my opinion on this, it might be a bit controversial. Um, and so I know that not everyone maybe would agree with me on this, but I'm going to share it anyway. So I think the biggest problem is that we need to stop assuming that people know better. Um, meaning that it's not like really because of who their parents are or what school they went to or what community they live in, um, that we, we just make this assumption. So we need to realize that not everyone really does know better. Um, in fact, to me, if you see a person who's struggling, like that's an indication that something is missing um, in maybe their education or the way it was presented to them, something is missing. But let me put it this way, I guess, um, from a Hasidic perspective, you know, if you look at it, um, it's, it's really a basic concept in Tanya. No Jew is willing or even able to be separated from Hashem for even a moment. It's way too painful. And this applies to every single Jew. Um, and it's only because of this concept, Ruach Shos, the spirit of folly, that enters, does it even allow a person the possibility to even do something other than what Hashem wants. So honestly, at the core, every single Jew wants to be one with Hashem. And I think that we really have to believe that and know that as educators and as parents and as citizens of the world um, trying to help our, our global fellows. Okay. So um, that's, that's like the premise that I think is off that a lot of people have. A lot of people just have this idea, you know, like, wow, this person really should know better. Like what's wrong with them. And we do a lot of judging and um, you know, and sort of categorize people um, bad idea because honestly, we really don't know what a person actually knows or doesn't know. Or when we say that they know better, I really question that because from my experience, I mean, maybe I'll just say a short little anecdote, you know, like as a new Balchuva moving to Crown Heights and like honestly being on fire about a lot of things, like I remember feeling a major gap between what was going on, you know, like in the seminary I was in where everyone was all excited and, you know, passionate about, you know, doing everything perfectly to the T and wanting to, you know, not miss out on a single thing with all that inspiration, you know, and then walking down the block, teaching in Beis and you know, like finding that, that not everybody felt the same way I did. Like it was a totally different experience. It was almost like going to two different planets sometimes. Like it was just like a, a completely different reality. How do I handle it? You know, the question is, you know, like, so, okay, so what do you do about it? You see someone who, you know, you think should know better and they, you know, what do you do about them? So honestly, some people, like you said, they genuinely want you to help them be the best that they can be. And especially when they love you and they look up to you and they respect you. And honestly, I think it's almost like a crime for you not to be there for them in that way when they're relying on you. If they look up to you and like I said, you have that relationship with them, they're really counting on you to guide them. So for us to just keep our mouth shut, you know, for fear of, you know, what the 
what, what, how we might be perceived when we're talking about someone that we're in a close relationship with in that way, honestly, like the same way, if you had something in your teeth and you're about to go, you know, on a video interview, you would certainly hope that someone who cares about you is going to be like, Oh, look over there. You know, like you got a little something. Um, and it's not offensive. You're like, Oh my gosh, thank you so much. It's like how you describe like going out of the house and like that feeling of like, Oh my gosh, thank you. I don't even know who you are, but like, you love me. Thank you. I appreciate that. You, you know, took the time out of your day and instead didn't let me go on doing something that would have been really embarrassing perhaps. But honestly, like, you know, when you don't have that relationship with the person, in general, this is in general, again, you know, like chances are much better of you influencing them by you being that living example. So this is more like we're talking about with, you know, um, you know, more like in the, in the camp setting, the classroom setting, and, you know, in all sorts of different settings and different social settings. I I'm just going to share though, that like my personal tactic, I guess, if you will, is I try to befriend people and, you know, um, show them how much I love them and try to get into the point where I'm in a relationship with them where they do respect me. And, and it's a natural thing for them to want to turn to me for guidance because they look up to me and they see me as a role model. I mean, obviously I'm not perfect. So we're, you know, we're always working on ourselves, but in terms of having influence on others. So, you know, I just think that, you know, if you read, you know, the Rebbe on this topic, it's like, we don't really have a choice if we want to be an influencer or not, like, like it or not, you know, certainly every chassid and honestly, I think every Jew, whether we like it or not, we are influencers because wherever we go, we are making a statement. And so who we are is honestly the biggest influence that we can have. And, and if we have the opportunity to lift someone up again, that's what we're, that's what it is. It's lifting someone up, you know, then we should look for opportunities to lift people up. And, and it's, it's a sad thing to me that there are people who, you know, don't want to, you know, like are so worried about possibly offending other people or, or hurting them that they don't find the way, you know, they don't take the time to think of how it could be said in a kind way and how it could be said in a loving way that could really help someone. I honestly really appreciate it too. So I'm glad you shared that story. Like if someone would say that to me, I would also have the same reaction. And I understand that it's not the same for everyone, but part of it is actually the, the modeling process. So what do I mean by that? Like for my kids, like, for example, like if I'm at home and I'm in my tichel or something and a piece of my hair is sticking out, my kids know to let me, you know, they're like, mommy, you know, I see a little piece of your hair, you know, it's sticking out. And so I thank them. And I say, thank you so much for telling me, like, I really appreciate that you told me like, thank you so much. And, you know, and I want them to tell me. Cause I do the same thing. And I actually was sitting on the couch with a, a, a friend and she's like, that's so disrespectful of your daughter to tell you. I was like, what? Like, I love that. She told me that way my hair is covered, but it's, it, I think what you're saying is right. It's a mindset thing. Bracha, can we go down a different, a different road for a second? I don't know why, but sometimes when people say certain things, it does make us feel different. There's actually um, a woman who I'm not, you know, obviously not naming, but she comes to every single one of my classes and she comments on my nail polish. Now I'm very, I'm like, I'm very fine with my nail polish. It's never red. It's like, I'm very conscious of what it is. I think one time there was a dark color and she noticed, and she was like, it was a darker color, like in error on my part, because I was rushing and I was on the phone. And it was darker than I normally go. And she noticed it. And she was like, oh, I don't think that's an appropriate color. And I was like, you know what? You're probably right. It wouldn't have been my first choice. Eventually, it's going to come off. I think I made a video with it or whatever. But since then, she's come to every single one of my classes. And whether I'm wearing nail polish or not, she's like, oh, I like your color. It's very evil. And I'm like, I didn't ask you. Like, stop. Like, this is not <laughs> a more. Like I, like, I feel like I have a Tania stalker. And like, I actually mentioned this to another one of my friends. And I was like, I don't understand like why she's doing it. But for the first time in my life, I feel triggered by Tzniyas. Like, I'm like, what is wrong with this person who keeps like overstepping their boundaries? I think sometimes people do feel like that. I think that sometimes they feel when we start focusing on the elbows, collarbones, knees, button, 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 your knees, you know, pull your skirt down those type of things end up feeling a little bit overwhelming. So when you're in a leadership position uh, by designation, meaning you're a counselor in camp, you are a teacher in a school and you're asked to enforce neist rules. How do you do that without creating, I don't want to say PTSD, uh, but without creating some sort of like trigger that or negative connotation to Tzniyas? Here's the thing is that 
when we talk about, you know, dress codes in school are really all about compliance and it's all about school rules and classroom uniformity. So that often in, in a school setting gets completely confused with the laws of SNES. Um, and I, and I'm saying this because I think that once we can sort of figure all that out, like we can get the answer to this question a lot more clearly. So, you know, I explain to my students when I'm teaching, for example, that having a uniform in school is a lot like having training wheels on a bike. And, you know, it's not the end goal. Um, in fact, it's more or less like, you know, giving someone a fish, but you're not really teaching them how to fish. So if you talk about, let's say, kosher, you know, it's similar with kosher. A person could actually be keeping kosher their whole entire life because they ate all their food in their parents' home or they went shopping and in their local market, you know, everything is kosher because they live in a from community and they don't actually know the first thing about kosher. Like they know nothing about kosher just because they kept kosher their whole life doesn't mean they know what to do with it. Um, so honestly, it's really the same thing with SNEAS that when it comes to wearing uniforms, it really doesn't mean you know a single thing about SNEAS. It means you know how to follow the school rules. That's what you know. Do you know anything about SNEAS? Not really. Um, because SNEAS is way more nuanced and it's filled with tons of gray and it requires a lot of thought and a lot of consultation, as we said before, you know, you have to ask a lot of questions to find out, you know, hey, is this okay? Is this not okay? Because it's not so black and white. But, you know, in, in school setting, we, you know, it, it's used as a form of compliance and, and, and it's also done in non-Jewish schools too. So, I mean, that kind of gives you an indication that we sort of, you know, forget that we sort of take it to be that this is SNES. Um, and that's what SNES is, that if you look at the school dress code, then you'll automatically know what SNES is and you don't. So honestly, you said PTSD, but honestly, I, I deal with this a lot because I do actually work with a lot of women who are dealing with um, what they describe as trauma from their childhoods, um, from what happens, you know, had happened, you know, in their in their high school experiences, having had, you know, school administrators looking up their skirts or being called out for violations, you know, and all that, you know, having spoken to all these women really got me thinking a lot about it, that really it's about having to separate out these two things, how we gen how we handle general policy of school rule enforcement versus like how we view the mitzvah of SNEAS. And I think that if we start, you know, focusing on that, we'll be able to come up with a lot better solutions than the way things are done now. It really breaks my heart, like beyond, especially because, like I said, I became from because of Tzniyas. Like I was like, whoa, whatever that is, I want it. Like I saw it and I was like, I couldn't even explain it. I was just like, so like, wow, you know, like, man, that's so different than my Hollywood, you know, world that I came from where it's like the exact opposite. And I saw it and I was like, these people are so lucky. They have no idea how lucky they are. And actually, I remember in my first thought, I was like, it's too late for me. You know, it's too bad that I'll never get to experience this. And I was so feeling so bad that I was left out of this mitzvah. And believe me, like when I, when I started to realize, Hey, I could still do this, you know, and I made so much effort to, so to speak, like catch up on, on all the years of missing out on the beauty of it. So, you know, and then you come and then you hear all these stories of these, you know, girls who are just totally traumatized, you know, by having had all these rules enforced and, and so on. So I do, I do think about this a lot. You know, it's something that I'm constantly focused on. Like, hey, what's the difference over here? You know, like, how is it that one person could come to one conclusion and then another person sitting over here comes to a totally, completely different conclusion about this mitzvah? And it's like, for them, it's like, they describe it as like a straitjacket. It's like, they just can't wait to get out of it. You know, like, as soon as they have the moment to take it all off, it's like, oh, I'm free. I can be myself again and blah, blah, blah. And it's funny because like, for me, it was like the exact opposite, you know, like the totally different process. So obviously, you know, we can't, um, I, I don't recommend that people should, you know, go out there and try it for yourself and see what the outside world is like so that you can get a better feeling. And, you know, and, and, and unfortunately, I feel like some people feel like that's the only way that they can come to the conclusion themselves. And maybe some people feel that they need to do that. Um, you know, and I wish, I wish, believe me, if it could be a pill that you could swallow or some injection you could take that you wouldn't have to go through all the pain of having to go through all that and still come to the same conclusion, I would gladly give that over. 
um, you know, I, I try as much as I can wherever I go to share that with people, um, even amongst from people like when I'm in different settings, sometimes I want to pull my hair out because I see the outside influences seeping into from culture. And I say to myself, hello, guys, you know, this is why I left that world. You know, like I left that world because I saw the beauty of what what is over here. Um, I don't want to hear all that stuff over here. You know, like, please, you know, spare me. Um, we have we have so much. We have so much beauty beauty and inspiration and so much to be proud of, of who we are as yet. And, 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 you know, the, the guidebook, so to speak, and, and the, the hadracha that in this area that it's like such a shame, I feel, you know, when, when it gets mistaken for, you know, this like straitjacket experience, which a lot of people have. And so I feel that, you know, part of it is the, you know, it, it's not like people haven't heard it, you know, it's not like they don't know what to do, but it's also how it's presented. You know, like what, what we're discussing here about SNES at its core, that it's not actually dress code at all, but it's more of a mindset and a way of life, you know, that's sort of missing. I think that if we would have, you know, education and it doesn't have to wait till high school, honestly, at all. I mean, you know, it's really more even, you know, in the home and, and so on, but even in school system, I totally think that, you know, kids at a much younger age could be taught to understand and appreciate that it's more about a relationship that we have with Hashem. And if we work on cultivating that relationship, that could be in the classroom, outside of the classroom but that's really the part that's missing that relationship and as soon as people you know start to say like oh wow you know like I can have my own relationship with Hashem and that's what this is about and it's not about you know um me being looked at or me being um micro analyzed from you know my 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 school administration um and that that that's what SNES is about which it's not um, actually interesting because when, when I teach in this course, um, one of the things that we look at, one of the texts is Perak Memalaf of Tanya. And Perak Memalaf Tanya, which is something the Rebbe said to say every day before davening, and then we should even memorize it and how inspiring it is. It's honestly almost a pretty much a parallel to the beginning of Shulchan Aruch. The beginning of Kitzur Shulchan Aruch starts out with this awareness of Hashem's presence. And that's like our, our focus. We have to have this awareness. So there's one line, which is actually part of the 12 Sukkim. So a lot of people might be familiar with it because it's also a pretty popular verse that it speaks about Hashem is standing over us, Hashem he's watching over us. And then it says, that Hashem is examining us inside to see if we're serving him properly. Now, when I speak to a lot of from women and like when I, especially, you know, ones that sort of have this trauma, like saying those words is very triggering for them. And like, they have this fear of like, they have an image of like their, you know, principal staring at them, you know, and being watched and so on. And it's all, it's, it's a really big misunderstanding. And we try to, you know, I spend a lot of time sort of undoing that and like going into that and saying, you know, means that, you know, that feeling that we all have sometimes where we like think that nobody gets us, nobody understands what's really happening. I mean, it's kind of like we associate it with teens, but I'm just going to be honest that I think that adults feel this way too all the time. We're always like, really? Nobody gets me. No matter how hard I try, I'm really trying. You know, I tried to articulate myself at this meeting or in this, in this conference or in school or at work or whatever. And even to my husband, but does he really get me? Do they really understand me? No, it's just, it's not coming across right. It's hard. It's hard to be understood. But the good news over here is that when it says, is that, you know, we can always be assured that Hashem does understand what's going on inside of us, inside of our hearts, in our minds, and he sees our efforts. Another big shocker here is that, you know, when it comes to Tzniyas, is that most of Tzniyas is not what we actually do. It's what we're not doing. And you know, when we think of Tzniyas in schools, we think of it as some sort of like a checklist item. It's like the Achasatamimim checklist. And, you know, in order to get the points for the program, you check off, I, I, I got dressed Tzniyas today. Hooray. Like I did my chitas. I, I you know, I, I said my, my morning brachis and I whatever. And I did Tzniyas. But the truth is, it's, it's it absolutely in not a checkable item off of any checklist. It's a mitzvah to me because it's a reflection of my, uh, my year as Hashem, the, the fact that I have an awareness of Hashem's presence. It's happening all throughout the day, even while I'm asleep. And it doesn't just have to do with my clothing. It has to do with all of my behaviors and actions and thoughts and speech and, and how I conduct my life. So it's a totally, totally different mindset. And when we really, you know, when, when we, when we see it that way and we stop and we focus on it, you know, it just changes everything. It just changes our whole perspective of what is this 
mitzvah that it's not it, and, and the fact that you know most of it like i said is not what we're doing it's what we're not doing like when i'm going out and i'm shopping and i'm you know and i see something really cute and i'm like oh i love that that would look so great and then when i you know make that decision in my head oh wow you know what never mind you know it's not going to cut it you know it's not quite you know up to my tznia standards and so all i did was not buy something and i might even not even had a conversation out loud it was just all happening in my head all of that, you know, and it was just a decision that I made. So now what, where do I get to check that off a list? And who's going to give me reward points for that? And who's going to say, wow, you know, great job. You did the mitzvah of Tzniyas today. No one notices that. The only one that notice, notices that is Hashem. <laughs> you know, going back to what I was saying, you know, means that Hashem does notice all of that. So maybe other people aren't noticing it and maybe you don't get so much recognition and points and maybe people don't appreciate what's going on inside of you, but Hashem does. And that's what Sneas is about. It's about having that relationship and developing it and realizing that who are we doing this for? Meaning it's not for other people. It's being honest and real with ourselves that this is about, I have this relationship with Hashem. And, and the good news is, is that Hashem does see what my thoughts are, what my intentions are, and you know what my even what my struggles are and knows what it took for me to get to this point and what I'm going through and you know and how I'm working on myself. I love how you keep on like flipping questions on their heads, right? So like the question just again, a total mind shift in how we view things. What about men talking to women about SNES? I feel like a lot of times maybe that feels almost like crossing a barrier of SNES just in having the conversation or it almost feels like men wiping their hands from the responsibility of their own SNES and saying, oh, women, you guys have to beat SNES. I actually think I might have answered this already. Like, I, I feel like you've done it. <laughs> but yeah. I'm going to just reiterate it because yeah. it's important to hear this again. And it's a great question. But to be honest, it shouldn't be a problem at all for a man to talk about SNES because SNES is just as much a man's mitzvah as it is a woman's mitzvah. And the honest to goodness details of SNES are just as applicable to men and women. When we but think Rafa, about the content- Rafa, let's be real a second, for real. How many men take ownership of their tzniyas? Let's Let's just have real talk for a second. Because I know that when like a few summers ago, I was probably five summers ago now, um, Rabbi Braun put out a pamphlet about men's tzniyas. It was not about women's tzniyas. The pa- it was before the summer and he spoke about things like shorts and flip-flops. And I don't think that, men are having a conversation about their tzniyas. Like, I feel like when we talk about tzniyas, it is the women. Like, we associate it with the women. So, So, like, the real talk is is sometimes it does feel like it comes across that way. Well, I have news for the men, too, that it's not just about shorts and flip-flops for the men either. I mean, really? You know, one of the the topics of tzniyas, which we didn't discuss so much yet, and like I said, it's really secondary, is really how we affect each other with our Tznias. So even though primarily Tznias is about my relationship with Hashem and all the practical elements of what I actually do have been covered by that when you look at the actual halachas, the truth is that there's another additional element, which is a separate concept, which is that we have a responsibility to each other, both as men and women, to uphold the Kedusha of Am Yisrael, that it's like a joint responsibility that we have together. Now, in the world, this is something that you know gets to me because you hear a lot of women talking about the men as if they are this like, you know, foreign invading body of like, you know, the almost like the villain in the story of, of, of humanity and that there's the women and then there's these men. But let's be honest, who are these men? These are our husbands, our sons, our brothers, um, our teachers. I mean, we're talking about like people that we are close to, our fathers. And so we have to stop thinking about it as these men being, you know, like someone out there to get us. Like we're talking about these are our partners. I mean, especially as married women, it's a partnership. We do this together. Sneas is also a mitzvah that's done together, very much so. And I'm not talking about that a man tells a woman what to do. That's the partnership. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about we each have our role to play. It's shocking, shocking to many women to find out how much men have to do in the area of Sneas. And I'm not talking about dress code. In fact, 
interestingly enough, you know, it says about, you know, there, there are mitzvahs that apply more directly to men because of male physiology. And, and I'm not going to get into all the, the graphic details here on this podcast, but we are aware of it. And especially, you know, um, you know, if there are Lubavitchers listening here, you know, we know that it's, it's something that, you know, is even spoken about explicitly in Tanya, which is something that we teach our children to learn and memorize, you know, at a very young age before they fully understand it. We don't shy away from this subject, but understanding that our, how our, our physiological bodies work and the fact that Hashem created men and women differently. Hashem gave men an entirely different, you know, Nisayun, um, I guess you could say, a, a certain set of what they have to work on in terms of their tzniyas, that as women is totally unrelatable to us because our physiology is totally different. So, you know, men have a mitzvah, what's called Zerah Levatala, and an an offshoot of those mitzvahs have to do with men guarding and protecting their own interactions, how they interact with the world. And it's actually fascinating because the halachas are directed entirely at the men. So all of the details that have to do with men guarding their thoughts, guarding their eyes, being careful about what they are exposed to, nowhere does it say women should not do this. Women should not do that. It says the men should not see women doing this. The women, men should not look at women doing that. And it's quite descriptive in Halacha, in Shulchan Aruch. If you go and look there, I think it would shock most women to see it. Most women have no idea what's incumbent upon men, what their actual responsibility is that they have to be aware of and to take care of. And what's our role in all of that then? Um, if it's all talking to the men, our role is basically the mitzvah of that in front of a blind person, we're not supposed to be a stumbling block. And it's very practical. Okay. We're not responsible for them. It's not our fault, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, just as if literally you would, if you saw a blind person walking toward you, you know, you wouldn't go out of your way to stick something in their path. And if you saw something in their path, you would very, very willingly move it out of the way. And I actually had this happen to me recently, which was like, kind of made me think about this, you know, like I didn't really think of myself as a hero when I saw the blind person walking toward me, when I realized there was a big pile of my stuff on the sidewalk that they were going about to crash into. It was my gut reaction that like, oh my gosh, I have to move this out of the way. And I quickly grabbed everything and like moved it over to the side because it was the right thing to do. And I think most people would agree with that, that we're not talking about, you know, some kind of heroics or, you know, like bending over backwards people. We're talking about doing the right thing. This is what Yiddishkeit teaches us. You know, when you look at, when you look at, you know, the way that we're supposed to view our connection and responsibility that we have towards each other, just in general worldwide, we're responsible to, to look out for one another. It's not just like me, I'm in this boat and I'll drill this hole and it doesn't affect you. No, the, we're all going to be sinking if, if one person is drilling a hole in the boat. So really the mitzvah of tzniyas is, is so important for us to realize. It's not the women have, you know, the, you know, all the whole responsibility. It's, it's a joint effort and we have to see ourselves as partners really. And, and if we see ourselves as partners in something beautiful, as opposed to, you know, like, oh, I have to prevent someone from sinning or I have to protect him or whatever. And, you know, and it's my job, my responsibility. It's, it's just like, it's really unhealthy. I think, I don't think it really helps us. I think that when we see ourselves as, you know, he needs me, I need him. We have to work together to make this work because we're trying to create something together. Then it's, you know, it's actually kind of beautiful. It's inspiring. I think it's really nice. I think it's very motivating um, and a very, different way of looking at it than kind of the way it gets presented and the way a lot of people associate it and all the, you know, negative feelings that people have with it. So, I mean, it, it, you know, there's so many ways to look at it aside from Leif Ne'ever. I mean, I think it's also just part of the mitzvah of Ahavis Yisrael, you know, like just thinking That's what was it. going through my mind. Like, If you realize what someone else is struggling with, why would you want to make it harder for them? And we don't even know. That's the problem is, is honestly, there is a lack of education over here. A lot of women don't know what it is that someone else's mitzvah is. Like, when what you know what you know and part of it is we have to be educated in what other people also need to know like in fact you know as college teachers we talk about you know like having an awareness that a husband should know what's what what, what sneez looks like for a woman so that he can be supportive of his wife meaning it, it, it's important and, and you know as college teachers we also spend a lot of time discussing to the women what it is that you know are the struggles and challenges that men face that we as women need to be supportive of it's a partnership it's not about one one-sided or all or nothing or one or the other it's like we are working together to create something and and when we see ourselves that way it's just such a different just a different way of you know approaching this whole mitzvah i am so happy um that we're having this conversation i'm so happy that we're having this conversation publicly um because it's such a meaningful conversation and 
I know that we like address things heads up, head on, and we really spoke honestly and truthfully and did a whole bunch of paradigm shifts in our minds. Um, Bracha, if there was any last parting thoughts that you wanted to make sure people took away from our conversation, what would that be? So, you know, like for myself, I'm just going to say, you know, I struggle a lot because sometimes I look around and I'm just like, you know, Hey, where are all the role models here? Like, where are the people that are supposed to be lifting me up? Sometimes I find that it's hard because you, it's hard to find the right people to turn to. And then I realize, you know, I get to my senses and I realize like, why am I waiting for someone else to start this revolution? It's time for me to not just be waiting around for someone else, but we have to be leaders. And so I'm just going to like leave off of everyone here with this empowering message that you're listening to this podcast, you know, be a leader, be an influencer, and you don't have to be perfect to be a leader. I think that that's a big challenge. And especially when it comes to Tsnias, you know, you asked me, how did I get involved in this? Well, I'll tell you how I didn't get involved with it for most of my life. The reason I didn't is the same reason as most people don't is who wants to be the one to talk about something when you yourself are struggling, you know, and I think that we all have our own struggles, but it's, it's not about that. I think it's about, like I said before, when we talk about modeling the process, you know, someone recently said something to me that was, I would say, pretty triggering, you know, like gave me, a, you know, a, a correction or suggested something to me that was, you know, uh, it was hard for me to stomach it at first. I'm going to be extremely honest and, you know, and, and, and open here that my gut reaction, I, I wish it was different, but it wasn't. It was hard for me to handle, you know, that level of um, direct wow, like it made me think like, am I, what was what I'm doing right or wrong? So, but then once I like calmed down, took a few deep breaths and came to my senses and I went back to the yoyim yoyim that reminds you to cherish criticism because it will take you to great heights. I stopped and I said to myself, Hey, you know what? Maybe I need to call my, call my mashpi. It's time to have a conversation as much as I don't want to deal with this. And as uncomfortable as it is, and as much as I think it's okay, because I've been doing it all along and it hasn't been bothering me. And I don't want to face the consequences of what might be the answer. If I have to ask, because what if she says, no, then forget get it. You know, like, I don't want to know that answer. So instead I just, you know, said, wait, you know, like, that's not right. You know, part of what you're doing here is you're modeling the process. So I did it myself. Then I picked up the phone, called my mashpia, got the answer. And, you know, interestingly enough, she told me that, you know, whatever it was, was fine. But for the few days until I got the actual, you know, ability to decide that that's what I needed to do, I wasn't sleeping well. I'm just going to be honest. It was eating me up inside. And I think it's important that we don't, we forget sometimes that the reason why the Rebbe gave us the system, you know, of having a mashpia and the fact that we have Rabbanim to call is there to free us. A lot of people make this weird assumption, you know, that, oh, if I have to ask, the answer will be no. And for sure, we know in Taras and Mishpacha, that's not true. It's almost always the opposite. Um, we're always looking for a way to say yes. We're, we're looking for a way to make it work. And really, it, it's about that. And, and, you know, once in a while, sometimes the answer is no. But we shouldn't be afraid to ask and to get clarity on subjects that maybe we're not going to, maybe we won't like the answer. Maybe we will like the answer, but don't be afraid because having the ability to get clarity and having guidance is our biggest gift that we have. And so many people just don't take advantage of that. So I know it's hard. And, and, and probably if you had one major takeaway for me today, I would say, you know, if you don't yet have a mashpia, go get one. I know it's uncomfortable and I know it's hard and I know people are, are struggling with this. And also, I just want to say that if someone asks you to be their mashpia, because you might be one of those people on the end of this here listening. Okay. Like, you know, I, I know it's also asking a lot and it's a lot, it's a big commitment and it's a big time, you know, suck if you want to call it that. But on the other hand, I feel that the system of both having a mashpia and being a mashpia to others is an important one that we were gifted by the Rebbe, you know, and I think it applies to everyone. It's universal and we can all benefit from it. And that instead of looking at it as, you know, like, both on from the end of, oh, I feel so uncomfortable, you know, like taking up someone's time or I don't have time for this person. Look at it as it's a give and a take. It's like we have to give and we have to, we have to be on the receiving end. We have to be both when it comes to getting guidance and, and hadracha, you know, and, and, and knowing what to do in our life. And so I feel like the blessings come, you know, like when we when we put ourselves in that cycle, this healthy cycle of getting the right support and getting the right help and being the support for the people who can use our support. I don't know how else to give it over, but that's that's what I'm going to leave you all with. And, you know, and, and some people think that that Sneas is, is the biggest messiah of our generation. And I, I wanted to say something about that, that. You know, it really, it's its the biggest opportunity of our generation is Tineas. Why? Because, you know, in the past, 
everyone was SNES. <laughs> um, if you look at photographs, you know, from the early 1900s, like I have a lot of old photographs from the city of Berkeley where I live. And it's, it's fascinating. They all just look like Victorian era, you know, royalty. And that was like the average pedestrian walking on the street. And so honestly, it was like SNES was like kind of like a no brainer. It wasn't even something that people really thought about because even even the non-Jews, you know, people were, were dressed like that. Today in our generation, it's totally not like that. And so in a way, for us, like this is a way for us to show our real connection to Hashem. And I honestly feel maybe that's why it's so connected to Mashiach in many ways is that it's like, I'm not doing this because it's convenient for me or because I enjoy it or I like it or all that stuff, even though I might. But it's like, I'm really doing this because this is what Hashem wants for me. And it's my way to be connected to Hashem. Mashiach is really all about us having Hashem in a revealed way in the world. So doing sneakers, whatever that means, whether it's thought, speech, action, dress, whatever, all of the above is revealing Hashem in the world because it's acknowledging Hashem. Whatever I do, I'm saying, wow, you know, like I'm in Hashem's presence. So this is how I'm going to think. This is how I'm going to speak. This is how I'm going to behave. And this is how I'm going to dress. So it's just a natural reflection of that. So it's part of the process, because as we know, if you want to have Mashiach, you have to start living in Mashiach. So to me, that is Mashiach. That's amazing. I love, I love how you tied it all together at the end. Bracha, if anyone wants to get in touch with you um, regarding your workshops, how do they do that? Great question. Um, I So I, I made a like a really basic website. It's called modestyandmashiach.com that actually has some meditations there just like as a list because some people ask me about them. You know, like if you really want to know what to focus on for Tzniyas, it also has a contact there. So you can find me there, modestyandmashiach.com um, just as a, a little side thing. And if you want my phone number, you can get it from Rifki. I'm happy to give it out to anyone um, that wants to be in touch with me to, you know, schedule something. This is like something I'm really passionate about. And I care very much about um, just being honest. Like there's not something I actually charge for. It's a side hobby. The reason why the, the, the charge that I charge for it, it, there is a charge. The charge is that I expect everyone who participates in, you know, any of these classes or courses to pay it forward and, and to actually, you know, use it to inspire someone else or for themselves in their own observance. And honestly, like for me, this is, this is something that is part of my little small contribution. I feel that Hashem gave me the ability to do this right now. It's timing works out in my life that I can, that I can make this work. And, and this is something that I want to contribute to the, to the global effort of, of strengthening, of strengthening people, um, both men and women worldwide in this area. And especially the women, since the Rebbe pointed that out, that we have a special schuss you know, we just want results. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to the time when it's going to be something that it won't be something we need to even have the classes on because it's just going to be something that we feel because we feel the open godliness around us. And it's just an open manifestation of that. Thank you so much, uh, Bracha. I really appreciate the conversations and I know that our listeners will as well. So thank you for being here with us today. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed and grew. Original music of Shamil's Nigan provided by Hazen David Katak. We look forward to your input, feedback, and suggestions. We also have partnership opportunities available. Please email info at bodiessouls.com. Again, info at bodiessouls.com with two S's. Thank you. Thank you.